listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. For today's scripture, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 26. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 786. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to count with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Raya, for that reading. We are in our fourth week of Jesus Wisdom as we study the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. Last week, Pastor Alicia warned that there may be a quiz this week, so hopefully you studied up. So does anyone remember the takeaway that she gave last week that was a repeat from two weeks ago? Be a disciple. Exactly. I'm thankful that Pastor Alicia mentioned reading the Bible as part of being a disciple last week as that will lead into the first portion of the passage that we read for this week. How many people would describe their relationship with the Bible as, it's complicated? Exactly. Um, There's so many stories in the Bible that will tell about slavery, genocide, patriarchy, and sexual violence. It's also a text that, you know, there's parts that just, you feel icky when you read them. And then you also have people that have used the Bible to justify so much harm in our world. Um, But as disciples of Jesus, I believe it is important for us to read the Bible and take it seriously. Like any look at scripture, context is critical. The Sermon on the Mount appears starting in chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel account. Historians have a few theories about the Christ community that Matthew would have been writing to in his time. In verse 20, Matthew quotes Jesus comparing what he expects from those listening to the sermon to the scribes and Pharisees. Many scholars believe Matthew was writing to a Messianic or Jesus-following Jewish community and he was focused on building the case that Jesus was the authority when it came to correctly interpreting and applying the teachings of the Hebrew scriptures. It is also believed that this community was a predominantly middle-class audience. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, there are three major themes. 
The first one is that Jesus as the new Moses, and that's fulfilling Torah. Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, fulfilling the prophets. And then Jesus is God with us, or Emmanuel. If you have read the entire Sermon on the Mount, you've seen a short introduction followed by the Beatitudes that Pastor Alicia taught on the last two weeks. The first section of the Sermon on the Mount for today is an introduction to the next portion of the sermon. The opening is followed by six sections of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, as he taught about how to take various laws and get to the heart of what God intended to teach the Israelites about how to live as God's covenant people. In the Pew Bible, the first portion of today's scripture will be titled, The Law and the Prophets. When we hear the term, the law, in a biblical context, we might think of the Ten Commandments and the other 603 laws in the Old Testament. However, what Jesus refers to here is the Torah or the Pentateuch. So I'm in seminary, so I may occasionally use some big fancy words that are confusing. Um, I'll try to define them, but if I ever say anything that you don't quite get, just please raise your hand and I'll try and clarify it for you. So the Torah or the Pentateuch are the terms used for the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. So that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And when Jesus talks about the prophets, he's referring to the prophetic writings of the Hebrew Scriptures, including Jeremiah, Micah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. In these first two verses, Jesus declares that despite what his rivals may say, he is not abolishing or throwing away what the Hebrew Scriptures taught, but he has come to fulfill them. And this is not actually the first time that Jesus has mentioned fulfilling what a prophet foretold in Matthew. One example appears in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. There, Matthew states, All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that Jesus is inviting us to read the Bible through Jesus-colored reading glasses. The term rose-colored glasses describes people that have an optimistic view on life. Marcus Garvey pointed out that whilst our God has no color, yet it is human to see everything through our own spectacles. The reading glasses or eyes we read the Bible through will change how we interpret things. E. Randolph Richards has written a pair of books on this topic. In 2012, he wrote Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders to Better Understand the Bible with Brandon J. O'Brien. And then in 2020, he wrote Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes, Patronage, Honor, and Shame, in the Biblical World with Richard James. I've not read either book yet, they're on my list, um, but I've heard great things about them and how it points out the different ways we can misread scripture in our current time and place. Um, O'Brien and Richards also wrote another book in 2016 that sounds like it's fun, I might have to read. It's called Paul Behaving Badly Was the Apostle a Racist Chauvinist Jerk? So. All this is to say that we bring a variety of assumptions, baggage, and preconceived notions with us when we sit down to read our Bibles. This is also why reading the Bible in community with as diverse a community as possible is so helpful. It is like the story of the blind people encountering an elephant where they each think it's a different thing depending on their personal point of view, but they never get the whole picture in their own individualistic points of view. In this introductory section about the Law and the Prophets, Jesus ensures that those listening know he is teaching the same message from this mountain that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. 
Jesus talks about how he has not come to abolish but fulfill, and to clarify, he talks about how not even one stroke of a letter will be altered before everything that the Hebrew scriptures foretold comes to pass. We miss the meaning of this in our current time because what Jesus was actually talking about, if you look at Hebrew, they're, they're, you, it changes the entire meaning of a word with a very slight difference in a stroke of a pen when they're writing the Hebrew letters. He says that whoever breaks one of, these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot to unpack here. The first thing is to affirm the message that this wonderful coffee mug from the Bible for normal people has on it. I think we're a little bit behind. But the coffee mug says that, it basically says the Bible is a rule book and it wipes out rule book and it says wisdom book. And so, and this is one of the things that we've been talking about throughout this travel through the different wisdom literature throughout the Bible. We're not meant to look at this as a rule book for how to live our lives day to day in the 21st century. It's a book full of wisdom for how to discern how to live in our current place, in our current time. Pastor Alicia has mentioned the term the kingdom of heaven over the last few weeks. This might be one of the most misunderstood terms in the entire Bible. Another commonly used term for this concept is the kingdom of God. Many people hear or read that term, the kingdom of heaven, and they immediately think of a place up there somewhere that people go when they die. The first time that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is in verse 417. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has his authority questioned by the chiefs, priests, and elders of the people. Jesus tells the parable of the two sons and claims that tax collectors and prostitutes who believed John the Baptist would enter into the kingdom of God before them. And in the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew 22, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as a wedding banquet where the people that were invited refused to come. Since they refused to come, the people hanging out in the streets, the good as well as the bad, were invited. The kingdom is not in heaven, but of God or of heaven. This is the upside-down kingdom that the poor, the disinherited, and the dehumanized enter first through their faith in the Messiah Jesus of Nazareth. This kingdom of heaven is an alternate kingdom here on earth. This kingdom is focused on being in right relationship with God and with other human beings that are each made in the image of God. And when we choose to serve Jesus by helping the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the prisoner, we are living the way of the kingdom of heaven. Now that we've unpacked what the kingdom of heaven refers to in verse 20, Jesus tells the people listening that what they need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells them that their righteousness, righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. In modern language, that may sound like needing to be more righteous than the Pope or Pastor Dan. However, we need to remember the context. Jesus is being framed as the authority on how to interpret the Torah and the prophets over and above the scribes and the Pharisees. And this section of the Sermon on the Mount is setting things up where Jesus will teach those listening how to take laws that they know by heart and live them out in ways of the scribes and the Pharisees. The ways that are the ways of the kingdom of heaven as opposed to the ways of the scribes and the Pharisees. The Greek word translated as righteousness in verse 20 has another translation that could alter things a bit. Daikaiosune is regularly translated as righteousness and refers to a person being in the condition acceptable to God. 
However, in a narrower sense, dikaiosune can mean justice. It sits with you differently if your justice needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, especially since Jesus has taken issue with the religious elite that includes the scribes and the Pharisees for unjustly taking advantage of the poor to line their own pockets. When trying to further this idea of Jesus-colored lenses to read the Bible through, let's jump back to Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, a rival group of the religious elite at the time. It would be like Baptist scholars versus Methodist scholars today. The Pharisees wanted to ask Jesus a gotcha question, so they asked, which commandment is the greatest? Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And later in the you have heard that it was said section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches, and this is a spoiler alert, that they should even love their enemies. I would suggest that rose-colored lenses or liberation-colored lenses would be Jesus-colored lenses to read the Bible through. Jared Bias from the Bible for Normal People podcast wrote an excellent book on loving like Jesus entitled, Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. And since Matthew frames Jesus as the new Moses, I believe that reading the Bible in a way that leads you to be more liberating of oppressed people would also be consistent with how Jesus taught during the Sermon on the Mount. If reading a passage in the Bible does not lead you to be more loving or just to yourself, others, including your enemies, or God, you may want to adjust how you interpret the passage. Or if reading a passage in the Bible leads you to want to be oppressive to people and not liberating, you definitely need to adjust how you interpret the message. Now we're going to shift to the second part um, of our scripture reading for today. That's the first of the six sections where Jesus takes an Old Testament law, or in this case, one of the Ten Commandments, and gets below the surface level legalism to a deeper issue for people to think about. So let's read Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26 again. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council, and if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So the first thing I want to do is dig into one of the translation choices that could be a little bit problematic in my opinion. Um, in verse 22, the New Revised Standard Version translation reads, you will be liable to the hell of fire. But if you, if you see, in, it's, it should be in the Pew Bibles, um, or if you have an, an NRSV Bible, there should be a footnote next to hell, and it should say at the bottom of the page, Gehenna. So Gehenna was not the fiery underworld that Dante envisioned. It was actually the name of a valley outside of Jerusalem, also known as the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, where kings of Judah sacrificed children by fire, as described in Jeremiah 7.31. It wasn't a place people wanted to go, but is not the image of hell that comes to mind when we read that word today. So do not read this and think that if you call someone a fool, you will be burning in hell for eternity. 
The lesson that Jesus is trying to impart here is not that murdering is that not murdering is not only that not murdering people is good, but the key, the real key to being a righteous person in the kingdom of heaven is to remain in right relationship with people so that you never get to a place where you're so angry that you lose the ability to see them as fellow human beings made in God's image. In Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman wrote that hatred often begins where there is contact without fellowship, contact that is devoid of any of the overtures of warmth and fellow feeling and genuineness. I believe we have seen this everywhere, that harsh words have led to both anger and dehumanization of others. Dehumanization of others allows them to no longer be viewed in the, as made in the image of God. They are then considered merely soulless bodies that can be murdered, enslaved, or used in any, no, any of a number of dehumanizing ways. We have seen dehumanizing language used toward people native to these lands to justify genocide and stealing their land. We have seen dehumanizing language used toward the people native to the African continent to justify chattel slavery. We have seen dehumanizing language towards Jews by the Nazis throughout the Holocaust and towards the Tutsi minority by the Hutu majority throughout the Rwandan genocide. And we continue to see dehumanizing language used today against marginalized groups, including ethnic minorities, LGBTQIA people, people with disabilities, immigrants, and refugees. Our theology matters. How we talk about God matters. And as Carmen Joy Imes wrote in Being God's Image, Why Creation Still Matters, if I truly believe that every human being is the image of God, created to signal the presence of God to the world, this belief ought to compel me to treat fellow human beings with dignity. People often want to justify their anger. The story in the Bible that is the go-to passage when people want to justify their anger is when Jesus flips the tables and chairs at the temple in Jerusalem. I would warn anyone that this might not be the best idea to try and claim you have judgment that is as good as that of Jesus. Just saying. But the real key is that Jesus was angry at the abuses of power and the taking advantage of the poor and the money, that the money changers and those selling doves were taking part in. Pastor Dan has talked about how messed up the system of exploitation was um, numerous times before from um, you know, up here. Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus are um, two creators that together go by the name of The Minimalists. They have written books, produced a couple of documentaries, and they have a podcast. At the end of every podcast episode, they have their catchphrase that they say. And it's love people and use things because the opposite never works. To come up with a pithy saying for how to wisely discern what is righteous anger, I would remix their catchphrase this way. Love people and hate things because the opposite never works. Hate things like the prison industrial complex. Hate things like the systemic effects of redlining that we still see today. Hate things like treating refugees that are trying to enter the United States inhumanely. Hate things like racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia. But hate those things without falling into the trap of dehumanizing other people, even if they are the people that stand for everything you are against. As Jesus preached in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, that anger and hate will lead down a path that is not wise to go down. Um, so for the going deeper for this week, um, I, if you have only a little bit of time, I would suggest that you listen to the song Rose Petals by Common Hymnal. Um, if you have a little bit more time, there's a wonderful documentary called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. Ryan and I just watched it last night. It, it was heart-wrenching, but it was also amazing. It had a lot of great stuff in there. Um, 
And if you're, there's a, also a link on the bottom of the Going Deeper, or if you're technologically savvy, you can take a snap of the QR code real quick. Um, that'll take you to a Google Doc that'll have all sorts of links to um, a variety of resources that I both mentioned in the sermon today or that went into my research for the sermon today, including there's a great um, Bible project video called The Law that really looks at um, what we were talking about the first section today about the law and the prophets and how Jesus fulfilled them. So um, hopefully you have some time this week to check those out. Um, so there's th the three takeaways for this week. The first one is going to be a shocker. Be a disciple. Spend time with God. Spend time in God's word and be in fellowship with as diverse a group of God's people as possible. Reading the Bible and talking about God and the word with a diverse group of people is being a part of the kingdom of heaven here and now. The second takeaway is read the Bible with Jesus-colored glasses. Read the Bible in a way that leads to love of God, neighbor, and even enemies. Also, read the Bible in a way that leads to the liberation of those that are marginalized in the world today. And the third takeaway is love people and hate things. Hating people and loving things is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. To be kingdom people, we need to love all people because they have all been created in the image of God. And we need to hate the things that lead to the dehumanization and abuse of people both closest to us and around the globe. Let us pray. Dear Lord, let us see the way that you want us to live. Let us have hearts that love. Let us have hands that liberate the oppressed. Let us have eyes that see the injustice around us. Let us have feet to walk with those that need someone to just walk with them. Let us have arms that hug those that need a hug. Let us have ears that hear when someone needs a listening ear. And let us have your wisdom, Lord, to know when to pray silently for peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.